Today is Wednesday. It's September 6, 2023. It's 2.50 in the afternoon. Good Lord, we got to get going. But I was in a photo shoot, so we started late. <laughs> Hi, I'm John Williams, and this is the Mincing Rascals podcast. Thanks for finding us, and stay tuned for information about how you can watch us record an episode on stage. Listen for me weekdays on WGN Radio from 10 to 2. I'm Austin Berg from the Illinois Policy Institute, and you can listen to my podcast, America's Talking. Hey, it's John Hanson, WGN Radio, WCIU-TV on the block, Block Club Chicago, and the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. It's Eric Zorn. I'm the publisher and editor and writer of the Picayune Sentinel, a weekly Substack newsletter. You can write to me at ericzorn at gmail.com. I'll add you to the list. I will not be participating in any photo shoots, however. I haven't, <laughs> yeah. I haven't done any photo shoots for years. What's yeah. that like, John? What are I you, hate it. I hate it. I'm not photogenic. I'm white and pasty. Oh, that's that's not true. You are photogenic. And oh. I... But they needed uh, to have somebody standing at the mic talking. Ah. So I was... You do that well. Let's do this. The Mincing Rascals live podcast taping at Second City. Whoop, whoop. It's going to happen Tuesday, September 26, 6 to 8 p.m. Sponsored by Allied First Bank. Come and see us. We want to see you. You can have a drink. You can buy some food. Sit there. Uh, we'll make time for questions from the audience afterwards. I'm not sure what the topics are going to be because we usually decide about four minutes before we record this bad boy anyway. <laughs> So um, we should do like Second City, take suggestions from the audience on what we should yes. talk about. Yeah, let's not. But <laughs> well, actually, maybe, maybe. We, we could. We could. I okay. mean, we've got an like improv. Come on, Afterwards. Austin. You're a, you're a proctologist. Uh, yeah, and you're, yeah. Uh, you're on the first day, and you just come <laughs> up to John, yes. but he's carrying a duck. Go, go. There you go. Get to yes and. Uh, we hope that you join us. The tickets just dropped a, a few days ago. I know that we are about halfway sold out right after they went on sale. Limited seating, so uh, you can still get tickets, I hope. Uh, go to WGNRadio.com slash rascals as you listen to this and buy your tickets right now. By my accounting, 2024 is going to be the trialist year ever. We could see four or maybe five Trump trials and the Mike Madigan trial is set to take place in Chicago on April 24th. You've got January 15th, Judge Lewis Kaplan presides over the defamation case about statements that Donald Trump made about E. Jean Carroll's sexual assault allegations. In fact, in January, E. Jean Carroll surfaces again because of stuff Trump said after the previous trial. March 5th, the day after Super Tuesday, that's the date set for Trump's trial on his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. 20 days later, the 25th, is the date for the hush money payments trial. May 5th, the date for the documents case, Judge Aileen Cannon presiding. And then maybe in October, the televised Georgia racketeering case. And in the middle of all that, Mike Madigan should be getting his day in court April 24th. Eric, will we see any of these happen? We might see the Madigan trial take place on schedule. I don't think any of the Trump criminal trials are going to take place. They just there's too many opportunities for delay, and uh, the lawyers are going to claim make, make all kinds of claims that the judges will say, well, you know, we we might end up getting over having this whole case overturned if we didn't give them enough time. It's just my experience that justice the gears of justice grind very slowly in this country and and yeah, and the idea that they would have these trials that quickly I I don't buy it. I just I don't think there's going to be any trials of Trump and if he is god forbid reelected, 
uh, I think that the uh, Justice Department will stop pursuing them and uh, only the Atlanta case will remain. And the Atlanta case might be have to be put on hold because he'll be the president of the United States. I'm really torn. I'm someone that I think the American people deserve to have the trials happen before the election to get some sort of outcome that could maybe determine how they want to vote. But I'm also pressing as hard as I can on the idea that Donald Trump should get as strong a defense as he's entitled to, like every other defendant who's able to delay trials based on going through millions of pages of documents. That takes a lot of time for his lawyers to do. And I want, if he's going to be found guilty or not guilty, for him to be afforded the same rights that anyone else's as a defendant in the United States. So I think those two opposing things really push against each other in my brain. Well, the Madigan trial, I'm hoping for a speedy resolution. But if you look at the most similar trial to this, which was of uh, Sheldon Silver. He was basically the Madigan of New York. He was the New York Assembly speaker for many decades. He he was he did not see a jail cell until I, th- I think it's like five to seven years after he was first indicted. It dragged on and on and on and on, which is, I think, justice denied for a lot of people in Illinois. And uh, we cannot, again, rely on indictments in the feds to clean up our house for us because if indictments led to less corruption illinois would be the least corrupt state but we are still very very corrupt uh and it's because we we rarely take on structural reforms like empowering the legislative inspector general who is in charge of overseeing the illinois general assembly that office is a total paper tiger and has not been reformed i think changing that will do a lot more to to uh, curb corruption in Illinois than Mike Madigan being sentenced to 20 years in prison. You wonder if, because Donald Trump is facing so many cases, if the one judge should look at the other cases and say, well, you don't have time to assemble a defense, an adequate defense, because not only is the time compressed, say, before the next election, but you've got all of these other cases. But it's reasonable to react this way. Well, then you shouldn't have gotten all out of the trouble. That almost presumes his guilt, and that's not fair. I know I'm with you, John. I'm trying to figure out what's fair to him, but also what's fair to the voters, Mm -hmm. right? We have a right to a speedy trial, too. And if they say it has to happen before the election, then maybe that's treating him differently because you would not rush it along. You wouldn't have to because for anybody else, the election wouldn't matter. In Donald Trump's case, it does. But that's also reason to go ahead and expedite things because the consequences are so huge. In the scales of justice, if you will, I'm pretty even. But if I had to err on a side, I would err on the side of 330 million Americans who want some information, even if it's not a resolution, even if we don't have a verdict, I'd like to see at least those cases being heard. But does anyone think that the verdicts are going to impact voters' preferences or, or enthusiasm any more than the indictments have? The well, indictments have seen even... only strengthened. Okay, so 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 he's convicted. His his supporters think it's all bogus anyway. Yeah. I don't like that question. I don't like that question because I'm interested in justice more than I'm interested in the election. What do you I want love say? that question because oh. <laughs> only because when you break it down, 
Trump won by about 70,000 votes in 2016 and lost by not that many more in 2020 in terms of if you pull a couple states out of the equation and uh, figure out how much the difference was. He lost by 7 million votes last time. No, that's the popular vote total, but really he lost by, what, 11,000 votes in Wisconsin, 11,000 in Georgia, throw in Arizona with 9,000 more in the second, uh, third congressional district in Nebraska for another 12, and there's your election, right? Okay. So 80,000 votes swings an election. And you're talking about independent voters, suburban voters who really are the swingiest. I think a couple convictions could change their mind. Perhaps, maybe not. But when you're talking about such tight margins in so few states that carry a lot of weight, I still think that convictions or not convictions could But even if he's convicted, he could still become president. So maybe the uh, answer to Eric's question is it doesn't matter. He's going to get the votes he's going to get. But I want to see... I want to see a trial. I want to see a trial on TV. But I want justice to be meted out and not dragged on. I don't want him to be able to dodge it or pardon himself after he gets elected. Is that because you feel like a victim in all this, in a way? Because that's you sound like someone who feels personally wronged that wants to see this play out so much. I'm just trying to get into the psyche of John well, Williams. My life hasn't changed, I don't think. I mean... All of us have sort of suffered some angst and anguish about the Trump presidency or what's happened since, but I'm not reacting to it personally, am I? I, I mean, aren't these reasonable points? They are reasonable points. I didn't mean to attack your psyche. Who the hell are you to tell me? <laughs> and while, while we're in the same room, I should yeah. have never done that. Well, I guess this is why we don't go into the studio anymore. <laughs> really personal when you're in the same room. No, yeah, but I no, mean, I agree. I'm like, we want to. If. You want the justice system to play out in the same way as if this was not a presidential candidate. I think that's in everybody's best interest, uh, that the system is almost blind in that way. Now, I will say that I do think some of those indictments are very politicized and some are not. So I think some of those cases are strong and are were, were good to be brought and others are more like stunts and they... Uh, they they raise suspicions of the entire process that could have been avoided. Wait a minute. So, which, which ones uh, are no, I think stu- I think you want those those things to play out in due in due course. Which 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 indictments do you think of are stunts? I, I think the New York the, the New York indictment to me is uh, much more of a, a a press release than an indictment. To me. Wait, wait, that's that, the um, accounting one? Is that what we're talking about? I'm sorry, I'm having trouble keeping track of which one is which. Which is the New York one? <laughs> that he essentially used campaign finance money to pay yeah, his lawyer, okay. spread it over 12 months. Right, okay, I don't care about that one. I don't care about that one either, by the way. I, 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 and I agree with Austin that that is the weakest one. It is a violation, and I don't think it's politicized, It's but it's kind of small to me. And I believe if he gets convicted of that, it's still just a misdemeanor. Uh, I, I would be really happy if they just said, you know, forget that that case for now. You got much, much more important cases to try. But I think the the important was the the documents case and the Georgia meddling thing. Those are I think those are significant charges, and I don't think that they are. I don't think the Justice Department's been playing politics with those at all. Ooh, let's rank our Trump trials <laughs> according to which one's your favorite. Okay, for me, it has to be the Georgia racketeering case. That's number one. Number two is Trump's efforts to overthrow the 2020 election. The documents case seems like he got him dead to rights, but it's box. Is in a it's boring. in the bathroom. So yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, nobody's harmed by that. It's just another law the guy broke. But the 
effort to overturn the 2020 election and the call to the Secretary of State in Georgia, come on. That's that's not a stunt. Those aren't stunts, are they, Austin? That's not in your stunt box, is it? No, uh, George, I would I would rank them the same way. And I actually think Georgia is probably in a maybe even a different category than the other three. So what's the over under of how many of these four trials start before the election? I'll set it at half a trial over or under. Uh, well, there's four, right? Uh, I mean, I counted five, but whatever. Oh, five is the, EG, the civil case if you, as well. If yeah. you include that. I think, I think the one that's ready, I said it a moment ago, is the uh, documents case. I mean, they've had ample opportunity to review that, protest that, and delay that. Uh, so give me one, one of the four. Eric, I believe, is a zero. Am I uh, speaking for you out of turn here? You know, you're, that's right. I'm going with zero. That's my, that's my, uh, that's my final answer. I Maybe phoned a friend. Where are you? Yeah, same as Eric. Wow, really? I'm going one. I'm going one. Uh, okay, are we all at least disappointed in that? Oh, absolutely disappointed in it, but it's just been my experience. And and uh, you look at Alderman Burke. He was indicted like like five years ago, something like that. I do want to point out that trial? there was a filing in this case yesterday, in the D.C. case, the overturning election. And the judge has said that if former President Trump continues to spout off about this on a true social that is going to be an impetus to move the trial up quicker she is concerned of a tainted jury by him continuing to spout off about jack smith and about other issues on that on social media so i don't that i feel like is the one that could come quicker the march trial Hmm, yeah well i will be sorry if that happens because how is this pie in the sky i mean it's all theory but do you guys think that if in fact the trials do happen and he does get convicted, but he does get elected, or Vivek Ramaswamy gets elected, he'll be pardoned, that there will be no jail time, no consequences. I mean, that's also a reason to maybe expedite things a little bit, both so the voters will know what they have. If he gets elected either way, he could pardon himself. We're just, well, we think. We don't know that yet either, too. We don't have any judicial ruling on whether you can pardon yourself. That's still up in the air. And, of course, Georgia, we don't think he can pardon himself there unless the case moves to federal court. It looks like and even it's I, not. And I, right. And I don't think that he could even do that still. We're just, we're really in this uncharted territory that just completely makes me nervous about where we go from here. Not only about the pardons and stuff like that, but the idea just of, okay, does, do the trials just get delayed if he gets elected president and then they don't try them for four more years? Meanwhile, he's redone the justice. I don't know. Austin, do you think, though, that even if they don't happen, just the months of conversation about that will somehow dilute Donald Trump's standing in the Republican Party, that it will elevate a Mike Pence or a Nikki Haley or somebody else? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think any of them are in a position to capitalize on that. Uh, I think if anyone would be, it might be DeSantis. If he were to run on a let's not mess around with this, uh, we need someone who can win and beat Joe Biden and this stuff. I do, while I do think it is, I'm not sure if he said uh, thoughts on the indictments, but you could say, while I do think all of this is a sham and politically motivated, I think you need me uh, to beat Joe Biden. The problem is Trump is now the martyr for most of the Republican base because he's facing these things. And I don't think that I think people will want to respond to those indictments. Those core base voters will respond to those indictments with more vociferous support for Trump as a retribution for what they perceive as politically motivated Hmm. uh, attacking of, uh, you know, someone on their team. 
I think if anything, it might solidify his support. Also, poll after poll after poll shows that when you ask Republicans who they think is more likely to be Joe Biden, they say Donald Trump. They don't say Ron DeSantis. So they're thinking that it, that he is their best candidate. And some of the recent polling backs that up, too. So this idea that it makes President Trump less electable in a general election, I, 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 I tend to believe in. And polls 14, 15, 16 months out don't mean all that much nationally. But when you ask the Republican voters, they think that their best chance is with Donald Trump next year, not only because they like his issues, but because they think he's most electable. Here's why I think that's wrong. I believe that a lot of Democratic voters, and I would count myself as one of them, are are a little bit to a lot concerned about Biden's age. And I you know, don't mean to sound ageist, but the guy's going to be in his 80s. He'll be, what, 86 by the time he finishes his – you know, it's uh, whatever it is. But, but he seems to be slowing down. I would like to have – I think he's done a good job as president, but I would like to have a younger, more dynamic candidate taking over for him. Uh, but nothing is going to energize Democratic voters more. Yep. Than Donald Trump at the head of the Republican yep. ticket. That if you have somebody who's you know a a Chris Christie or a, or a, you know a, maybe even a Ramaswamy or a, or a of a Pence or someone like that uh, or Asa Hutchinson, you might you're going to have someone who's who's more. I mean, I guess Ramaswamy doesn't even count because he's really way out there. But but you have someone who's a little bit more conventional uh, and a little bit more acceptable. Then the, you might not get the Democrats out to the poll. I think it's going to come down to turnout. I mean, as they say that about every election, but, but nothing excites Democratic voters more than voting against Donald Trump. I agree with you. I'm just saying that Republican voters don't think that he is the least, least elected. I do agree agree with Eric. I agree with Eric, but I I think they're, I think they're wrong. I think those Republican voters who think that Trump is a better candidate to run against Biden are wrong about that, just as a matter of of just political fact, but. Uh-huh. Anyway. Who knows? But Austin, answer that same question. Who do you think is more motivated in a Trump-Biden uh, election? Uh, oh, man. Uh, it's almost a quite like uh, I almost object to the framing of the question because everyone, the majority of people are actually demotivated by that. So there, there are hardened edges that I think will probably be on the right more motivated on maybe the left gets more of a persuadable middle like similar to what we saw in the midterms there are a lot of swing voters who just want to vote against anything perceived as trump but um the sad truth is that the vast majority of people will be apathetic to that as we've seen in poll after poll but if that were true about the population in general i think i'm with eric and john on this that at least Democrats who aren't all that motivated by Joe Biden are very motivated by voting against Donald Trump. And I don't know that the reverse is true. There are some people who are very motivated on the Republican side to vote for Donald Trump, but they're not that motivated to vote against Joe Biden. He's not a specter that keeps them awake at night. They just don't like him. You know, they, and they throw all that crap out there about his age or whatever. He's doing a bad job on the economy. But they are not energized by those arguments the way Democrats would be about Donald Trump having a second term, right? I think that's fair. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you, I think you might be understating the anger in Republicans a little bit more. I think that there is a lot of it there that's real, and they would vote. They will get to the polls to try and get Joe Biden out of office. But – Look at 2022. It just didn't have the driving force that a lot of people thought it would. Yeah. And a lot of Democrats, their reason to vote was, I don't like these Trump-picked candidates. So, or we'll abortion, right? It right. 
And that's true. And we'll see if that carries into 2024. Okay. Joining us now looks like a familiar face. Is that you? <laughs> Actually, I don't know the face. Is that Ray? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sorry I'm late. I had to uh, file a little story here about uh, uh, Mike Madigan uh, giving up his uh, committeeman role uh, as 13th Ward committeeman, a post he's held since uh, 1969. He's not running for re-election on that. Why? Did something happen? Or <laughs> How much time you got? <laughs> well, we're going to take about 10 or 15 minutes of Ray Long's time. Uh, Ray Long's time. He's the uh, Chicago Tribune investigative reporter, two-time Pulitzer Prize finalist with experience at state, capital, city courts, and county beats. Covered two governors who went to prison, a state senator who went to the White House. He wrote The House That Madigan Built, The Record Run of Illinois' Velvet Hammer. That would be Mike Madigan. So uh, thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time today. Great Um, to be here, John. (laughs) By the way, thank you for coming on today. I almost ended up talking to you last week during the Cubs game, right? Were you at the Cubs game when we were trying to get you to come on? I was. I had an old college buddy... uh, called me up and said, let's go uh, down there and uh, take it in. And uh, they actually won that day, so it was a good thing. But, yeah, I was uh, I was prepared to go uh, go live. You just would have had to have the organ in the background and roar <laughs> of the crowd. Okay, the former speaker, Mike Madigan, 79, is charged with racketeering, conspiracy, and individual counts of using interstate facilities in the aid of bribery, wire fraud, and attempted extortion. That's according to the federal website. To make their case, federal prosecutors tapped his longtime aide, Tim Mapes. And Mapes served for years as not only Madigan's chief of staff, but he was also, what, the clerk of the uh, the House, right? All the right. bills went through him, and he was the executive director of the Democratic Party, Right. Right. Uh, three power positions all designed to help uh, keep the speaker in charge of everything. Okay. And so there's this Tim Mapes guy who really wasn't a household word until most recently. And the feds weren't necessarily out to get Mapes. They were out to get Madigan. And they thought he would be a star witness against Mike Madigan for all of those other reasons that I just described. So they call him in and they say, listen, if you just tell the truth, give us some state's evidence against Madigan, who's already thrown you out anyway, then we won't press charges against you. And he lied. And he was found guilty of lying. He's going to be sentenced in January. That's why we invited you in, just to tell us that story and tell us why that went down that way. It's it's really uh, kind of stunning to a lot of uh, political observers that Tim Mapes was granted immunity. And he was warned by the chief judge of the federal uh, district here in Chicago that You've got to tell the truth to make sure that you maintain your immunity, that you won't be charged with a crime. And if you do, then you could be charged with uh, perjury or obstruction. Uh, if, if you do not tell the truth, you could be charged with perjury or you could uh, face other charges. He ended up being charged with attempted obstruction of justice, which carries a potential 20-year term that is um, four times as long as perjury itself. And it was all designed to, as uh, he said during uh, the tapes that were played in the courtroom, to protect the boss. Why would he do that? 
that's one of the great mysteries here too but it goes back to once you're in you're in even though madigan tossed mapes out of the organization in uh, 2018 over a high profile scandal a me too scandal Mapes still stayed in contact with Madigan folks through Madigan's longtime foremost confidant, Michael McLean, a ComEd lobbyist who, as you know, John, and everybody else on this panel knows, was one of the four people convicted in the ComEd 4 trial that went down earlier this year. Uh, Mapes stayed in constant contact with McLean about what McLean was doing, what Madigan was doing, how he could how uh, he could help design committees, put the lawmakers on different committees, and uh, help out with how he raised funds for Madigan's various political committees. He did all this before and after he was cut loose by Madigan in 2018. But when the feds asked uh, Mapes what he knew about how McLean operated with Madigan, whether McLean ever took assignments for Madigan, Mapes suddenly was unable to recall anything. He would say, I don't know why, why I would know that. I don't recall this. And then the prosecutors would come back immediately with tapes that uh, they had gotten through wiretaps of McLean's phones where Mapes and McLean would talk about intricate details of what was going on. Federal prosecutors played the entire grand jury where he talked to federal prosecutors and went before the grand jury and made at least seven lies. And he kept saying, I don't recall, I don't recall. And they said these were significant enough moments that a reasonable person would recall them. So it, it's yeah. I don't know that that strikes you as kind of a high bar, but it seems to me that a person could say, I don't remember. I don't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. So right. you're asking about these, but they say, no, but these are like large events in your life. These were major discussions, and there were a lot of them. So right. so they, they, they said, you are lying. And all he said was, I don't remember. Well, wasn't, do you think, Ray, do you think that this was Mapes' way of just being a little bit too cute by half that he thought that yeah well i'm not actually saying something materially false i'm just saying i don't remember right, and right. That that's his way of yeah. not being as not being a snitch uh yeah i think i think you that may be one good way to explain it uh, you know i still can't get into his head but many people over the years have told me that he's the kind of guy mapes is the kind of guy who who acted like he was the smartest guy in the room when he got into that grand jury though and before a federal prosecutor what might have gotten him through springfield and in a variety of of high level meetings there did not work so well in a federal grand jury but what i don't understand is that at that time when he was was lying for Madigan, Madigan had already tossed him to the curb. Mapes right. had been charged with sexually harassing some staffers, and when Madigan got wind of that in at the time of the hashtag MeToo movement, he, he summarily dismissed him, and and that had taken place a few years prior to this. So, right. in fact, it was his attorney's defense. Mapes' attorney's defense was like, "Why would he be lying for Madigan? Madigan got rid of him, cut him off summarily." So that makes sense to me. Right, I, I think it does too. But it, but the jury didn't buy it. I think uh, it was because. 
in those tapes, uh, Mapes had said things like the goal here is to protect the boss and the boss was Madigan. Mapes is the kind of guy who was devoted to Madigan over the years. And even though he was tossed to the curb, it was kind of one of these things that you, you would expect the speaker to do to preserve himself if he had a uh did he freeze are you still there ray oh no hold on ray we're um waiting for you to refresh here i hope he's not having a mitch mcconnell moment here. i think he's <laughs> i think he just froze but what, i think what ray was saying is re- was really interesting and also i don't know to the extent when we say kick to the curb yes he was publicly ousted from the official organizations of mike madigan but as we've seen with other Madigan political workers like Kevin Quinn, who was fired uh, after a Me Too scandal, he was getting paid under the table yeah, by lobbyists that. who wanted to keep Madigan in their good graces. And that, it wasn't even clear if that was at the direction of Madigan or not. It was simply the culture that, hey, this is one of our guys. We need to protect this person. And I think similarly with Mapes, yeah, maybe he didn't have the position of clerk, but I'm sure he had people helping him out right. uh, regardless um, with Madigan's, you know, implicit or explicit approval. Yeah, his loyalty would beyond the titles. He was still loyal to Mike Madigan, and who knows? Maybe there was some other interest to stay true to Mike Madigan. But boy, well, taking a bullet for him like that is especially when you've been granted immunity. Like, there's your pass. There's your free get out of jail, and then you go in there and lie. And then you go to jail. Don't forget that, I mean, there was a code on the street, and I'm sure that that code goes right into the halls of power about not snitching. And and there's also this sense of Madigan as being this incredibly powerful person. Uh, no matter what ever happened, he would still have a lot of power, and and maybe someone maybe figured, the, you know, no one's going to protect me like Mike Madigan's going to protect me, even though he kicked me to the curb. Uh, that's my only that's, only explanation for that is he says like if I just say I don't recall, no one can prove that I actually do recall. Therefore, I'm not lying. Therefore, I'll get away with uh, you know I'll be able to tell the truth, but say I don't remember the truth. And well, and uh, that, that seems to me the only way that one can get into his head to think why he would have done that. Well, like also in politics, the people that are loyal to the boss or to whoever it is, getting kicked to the curb is almost seen as a service in service of that mission like i took this fall that's okay i'll i'll I'll, yes sir and thank you for doing that you know like it's almost a it was probably recommended by him that this is what we're gonna do almost sounds trumpian how many people did donald trump kick to the curb and uh, those people are expendable i mean mike madigan treated this guy as collateral at least publicly the way donald trump did some of the people that wouldn't do his bidding Austin, you know the Madigan story better than any of us. What's your take on this, and what do you think about his sentencing? My take is that this is, uh, and this is taken a lot from Professor Dick Simpson's work at uh, UIC. He was a professor there for 50 years, just recently retired, former alderman, and has written a bunch of books on Illinois corruption. And one of his essential findings is that there is a political culture in our state that can be summed up as sort of a what's in it for me mentality. And that at its core is what all of these indictments are about. These were people who were using public office for private financial gain. And what is most saddening to me about it is that 
even when you have the specter of a prison sentence hanging over someone's head, that is not enough to change the culture, clearly, right? Because Mapes was lying even though he knew he would go to prison for lying. So that's why I talk so much about structural reforms. Like, yeah, Mike Madding might go to prison, but state lawmakers can still lobby local governments legally in Illinois. Yeah, Mike Madigan and Tim Mapes might go to prison, but uh, a lawmaker can retire one day and start working as a lobbyist for a utility the next day. Yeah, Mike Madigan and Tim Mapes might go to prison, but the legislative inspector general in Illinois still doesn't have subpoena power and can't find out any of this unless the feds come in on a white horse and try to take some people down in Springfield. That's why I, I focus more on those things. Ray's able to join us again. Uh, we lost you, but we're glad you're back there. Ray, you can hear us okay? Yes, I can. I wanted to make sure I got back because you were worried that I was having a Mitch McConnell moment. <laughs> I was hoping you hadn't heard that. You you froze mid-sentence, and so I was yeah. just worried about you and the connection. And we have moved on further into the conversation, but join us here, Ray. What are we to make of Mike Madigan's prospects then down the road. How telling is the MAPES conviction and pending sentencing for the Madigan trial? The key thing about the MAPES conviction is that it was a warning shot that the prosecution sent out, a message to anybody who was thinking about, well, maybe I can skate through this federal prosecution and not reveal everything I know. Uh, the prosecution has already brought a series of Madigan acolytes into the courthouse to testify with regard to the ComEd 4 case, where everybody, including McLean, who I was talking about, ended up guilty counts on all counts. And now Mapes' trial also saw a conga line of former Madigan you know, insiders yeah. going up there. So I, I think what this does is uh, strengthen the prosecution's hand. And if they're uh, trying to persuade people to maybe consider what the consequences are, if you don't tell the full truth, then they can hold out Mapes as an example. I mean, he is the highest ranking guy under Madigan, and he ends up convicted. And you know, you guys have to also kind of recall that moment on the stand when Representative Bob Brito was asked, hey, what was the organizational structure here? And he drew with his fingers a triangle and he pointed to the top of it. And that triangle was Mike Madigan. And the other two corners on the triangle were Tim Mapes and Mike McLean, both who have been convicted of felonies. So what do you think is going to happen to Mike Madigan then? Will he go to jail and for how long? Pardon me, I'm asking yeah. you to uh, try him, convict him, and sentence him. But uh, yeah. I, uh, before I, I don't, I, my guess is Ray's not going to be comfortable making that prediction <laughs> as someone who's going yeah. to cover that trial. But but I will I will let him give that answer. But before that, I, I want to ask: What are the chances do you think that Mapes is going to flip? He's looking at dying in prison right he's like in his mid 60s maybe late 60s he, he's in his late 60s am i right ray something like that yeah 68 i believe he, i mean he's looking at dying in prison and my guess is that he would get a very nice deal from the feds if he decided that he did remember a lot of these things that he, <laughs> that he forgot and he might be a pretty bad witness at this point but that that that's his only chance it seems to me he's gonna he's gonna get some serious time I and mean, it's gonna be in a white collar prison but 
you know, I can. Do you have any thoughts about whether there are going to be a lot of people starting to flip on on Madigan, and that's going to play into his into the trial coming up next year? Well, I do think that the the prosecution's probably probably out there trying to stir the pot to get it as many more pieces of evidence and people to flip that they can. However, there is a possibility, a strong possibility, that they'll try to to bring Mapes back in to see if he'll cooperate this time around. The big however, which I started to say, was that he is now a guy that you probably wouldn't want to put on the stand. Or if you did, you would really have to do a lot of explaining as to why you're bringing a guy who's been convicted of perjury and attempted obstruction of justice. Why you would want that guy, a convicted liar, to be telling the jury what he now says while he's facing prison, the truth. I have a dumb question. So found guilty of lying to a grand jury. Does that negate the immunity that was offered in the first place and expose him to original potential uh, crimes? Well, um, one of the questions I think that is hanging is why he wasn't charged with anything else, if they had something on him or not. I just don't know that. Uh, All I know is that they had him in what they believed was a strong case and what proved to be a strong case uh, on the perjury counts. And so now they've got that uh, sentence, a potentially strong sentence. I don't think he's going to get 20 years, given that he's a first-time offender. But they could still uh, get a judge to give a pretty stiff sentence for, for what was pretty blatant lying in the grand jury. So... I, I don't know the specific answer to, to your question. It, I would gather if they thought that they could somehow do a superseding indictment and bring Mapes in, they would, but I don't see that happening. In fact, I think that they're going to go ahead with what they've got on the table right now. Do you think, Ray, that they that Mapes would be in a position to offer maybe not testimony, but some good information and leads that he might be able to cooperate with the feds without being a witness because i I mean i agree putting him on the stand could be very difficult given that he's a convicted liar but he might have some really good information for them that would help in their prosecution well that's what i think would be their biggest and i'm really talking speculation here but i would guess that the prosecution would look to him to see if he would cooperate in filling in some of the blanks if the prosecution could glean, you know, very important information from MAPES and raise and give them fodder for more questions to Madigan and more ways to try to convict Madigan, then they, then they may be able to work out some kind of a, of a, a deal with MAPES to uh, get a, a, a lesser sentence. What's the end game here? It's Madigan, Madigan, Madigan racketeering. But what's the crime, or is there a singular thing, or a most important thing that ultimately we're trying to get out of Madigan via Mapes? What, what's the end game here? The things that, in in just Joe Lunchbox terms are he uh, stuffed, or uh, he's alleged to have stuffed some of his political allies and precinct workers into no work jobs that had hefty salaries with uh, ComEd and uh, AT&T Illinois. And those are two state-regulated utilities who have already 
reached a deferred prosecution agreements with the feds. The ComEd paid a $200 million fine. I believe AT&T's was something like $23 million. And they acknowledged that they did uh, put people on their payrolls for in an effort to try to sway Madigan into their court while they had key legislation pending. Now, there's the other deal in this that doesn't get as much notice, but one that may be easier for the jury to see, and that is the allegation that Madigan worked on uh, passing some state legislation that would take property in Chinatown away from the state ownership and give it to the city of Chicago. And the allegation that the feds may make is that he tried to do that because he wanted a hotel developer to take that piece of property, right. uh, build on it, and then send his private law firm the tax work after that. And so that might be uh, a through line that uh, uh, a jury could follow a lot easier. There are other deals uh, with ComEd, uh, ranging from sending law work to uh, Madigan Ally, at least one time Madigan Ally, Victor Reyes Law Firm, and putting a bunch of interns from his wards on to paid jobs over the summer. Okay, Ray. Well, uh, we sure appreciate your time. Thanks for giving us some of your inside uh, information today. It's been really excellent reporting and thorough, too. Uh, thanks, thanks for Great. helping us out. Thanks, Great Ray. to be here, guys. Thank you. It's Ray Long from the Chicago Tribune. Austin, what's the buzz today, John? Have you been hearing about Stacey Davis Gates, the head of the Chicago Teachers Union, sending her kids or child to a private school? Producer Pete shared with me some insight on that today, but I wasn't sure how good that information was. I only heard it from Austin. (laughs) Well, that's a pretty good source. Yeah. We started hearing rumors about three weeks ago that Stacey Davis Gates, who is the president of the Chicago Teachers Union and probably one of the most, if not the most vocal, and you could even say effective opponents of school choice in the country, was in fact sending her eldest school to a private Catholic school on the south side of Chicago for his freshman year of high school. And I want to be very clear from the top that this story is in no way about uh, her child. Um, there shouldn't really any, be any focus on the child's activity or even potential or, or uh, the name of the child, anything like that. It's a story about one uh, teachers union leaders blatant uh, hypocrisy. And she has been able to send her son to a private school uh, while trying to take away the opportunity for many other parents in Illinois to do the same, uh, especially when those the public school that they are zoned to in their neighborhood is not serving those children well. Parents are some parents are able to get out through the help of a small uh, tax credit scholarship program called Invest in Kids. Uh, around nine thousand students across the state are able to take advantage of that and access the, an education that's right for them. Further, there are around 30,000 students on the wait list to get into that program, including hundreds on the wait list at the very school that Stacey Davis Gates sends her child to. So uh, all power to the CTU president for making that decision to her family or for her family, for her kid. Every family in the state and in the city should be able to make that same choice. And she is actively working to take it away from others. 
How is she actively working to take it away from others? Is it a, fin- a matter of financial means? She's, she's actively working to kill the Investing Kids Tax Credit Scholarship Program. It was right, passed- but if I, if I may, Austin, but if I had money, I could send my kid anywhere I want. My kid doesn't have to go to a public school. Absolutely. The point being that school choice is reserved for the wealthy uh, in Illinois. There is a small program that opens it up to people who are not of means who can uh, access an education that's great for their child. Uh, and that is the opportunity that Stacey Davis Gates seems to think is reserved just for the wealthy. Um, and furthermore, has been a vocal opponent of private schools generally, has called school choice a racist institution, um, and has gone after uh, other prominent mayors and public school officials for sending their kids to private schools. You might remember Rahm Emanuel I was, was often going to say, yeah, sure. Arne Duncan, Forrest Claypool. The CTU was really leading the charge to uh, t- to make that a, a story and an issue. So if the response back from CTU on this, and so far it's been a complete non-response, the reporters have been ringing their phones off the hook and have gotten nothing, uh, I think the response will be something to the effect of how dare you come after my family and my children or something of that sort. Um, CTU opened opened the gates to that line of criticism long ago. Austin makes really well, great points. <laughs> yeah. It's a very convincing you know, I mean, argument when I hear it. it's at, at worst, it's a very bad look, right? Or at best. At best, yeah, at it's, best a, it's a very at best, bad look. It's very good look. Because but, I'm, I'm a little torn. I mean, I, I, okay, gotcha. But I still think it's her family. It's some people enjoy more privilege than other people. And as a matter of policy, you can argue that this is how we keep public schools strong. But yeah, I'm lucky. I'm connected. I have more money than some people. So I'm going to get the best education for my kid. But for the vast swath of people who are not so fortunate, I wonder if both things can be true at once, Austin, that you can say, or Eric, this is... This is what's best for my family, but as a matter of policy, it's better if we don't afford that choice to everybody. Well, that would be my argument, which is that that uh, one can be in favor of public education and opposed to voucher programs and, and even certain charter programs uh, that bleed money from conventional public schools while still sending your child to a, to a, 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 a private school. You could be in favor of of uh, public parks while still belonging to a country club. I mean, it's it's not an either or situation. I I agree that it's kind of a bad look for the president of the, of the CTU to be not sending her children to public school, uh, but I don't think that it's it's necessarily hypocritical. I don't. I, I think I think what her that her point would be or her position would be, and I can't speak for her, obviously, but it'd be my position, which is that, yeah, if you have the means to support your family, uh, to support your children going to a private school, going to a more expensive school, that's fine. But as a matter of policy, we don't want to take take those resources that are devoted to public education and spread them out among all these other other private institutions and charter schools and religious schools and 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 homeschooling. There's a story just in the news this week about how homeschoolers in Florida are scamming the the um, the uh, voucher program there for like. TV sets and admission to Disney World and Lego and things like that uh, for their kids at home. So I think that that money that we are devoting to the public education should go to public education. And I don't think that Stacey Davis Gates is a hypocrite for putting her children wherever she wants to. I I agree that's a bad look, but I don't think it's hypocritical. I never, Austin, correct me if I'm wrong. Chicago 
spends more per pupil than like anybody else, right? CPS? Chicago's public schools spend nearly $30,000 per student per year. And that's more than most other districts? That's, that's very high. Yeah. I just don't see why if you let a few kids choose to go to a charter school instead and now you have a less you have less pupils to worry about in your school system you're still gonna have a lot of funding you're still paying you're still spending thirty thousand dollars per student i think it weakens the argument that taking money away from public schools is going to weaken the education don't you think the the talent pool is weakened though when if you keep plucking the kids who have the most motivated parents to get those kids the best possible education you're left with the kids with the least motivated families the least educated families the least educated children uh, that that that's always been one of my concerns. I, I'm sorry, Austin. What were you going to say? Well, there's a lot of awesome research on that, and most of the studies have found a statistically significant positive effect on academic outcomes, not only for the children who are afforded the opportunity to go to a different school, but for the students who remain in the public school. Uh, and part of the reason for that, researchers think, is that public schools have to do a better job of competing for students. Mm. Uh, and and that results in, in better service. And I think, I mean, to the extent that this is like a, a personal attack on Stacey Davis Gates, she is being held to her own standard. She said in a Chicago Magazine interview, I can't advocate on behalf of public education and the children of this city and educators in this city without it taking root in my own household. That was her quote. Um And she is telling the parents uh, in Chicago public schools, yeah, the outcomes are really horrible, but you guys, you're going to have to wait until I figure this out through all of my political advocacy. (laughs) You can wait until I fix this, until this is fixed. I'm going to, I'll see you later. I'm out of here. And and to the same point, I mean, the mayor himself, his, his children attend selective enrollment schools. They do not attend their zoned local neighborhood school and it is it is so much a case of rules for thee and and not for me i'm going to take advantage of the system uh but god forbid if uh low-income families are able to make the same choice for their children that i've been able to make for mine and just for context this is coming up in veto session so this invest in kids scholarship question if lawmakers do not save that program in veto session, that is 9,000 families that will not have those scholarships uh, in a year. Johnson does bring up often the fact that he lives on the west side in a high-crime neighborhood. I'm not exactly sure what his address is, but I believe him in all of that. I was wondering if his kids go to Chicago public schools. And they do. It's a selective enrollment, right? That's still a CPS school, Austin, right? Yes. It, uh, Brandon Dunson at least you know, goes to a uh, – has his kids in a Chicago public school. But it, it's – again, it's like – they kind of won the lottery. They were right. able to send it to the, the best of the most selective. Co- and maybe they qualified each on their own, and we don't know, right? I mean, they may sure. have 100% gotten that on their own merits. We don't Absolutely. know otherwise. We could open this up to a whole debate about charter schools and their value here, too. I don't know if we have time for it on this podcast, but I don't know. The whole thing just seems to me that a leaner CPS could ultimately provide – a better education for certain kids. And I just feel like at the end of the day, even if you love public schools, and I did, my mom was a public school teacher for 35 years, like I believe in that mission. But in the moment, if it's failing your kid at that moment, you should be able to try it any way possible to make sure that kid has the best education they possibly can. Right? Like, I mean, I can still believe in the public school mission and love it to death, but go, oh man, oh, I'm not going to let my kid, though, fall through the cracks here. 
Austin, does your wife teach at CPS or is she in a suburban school district or a private school? Uh, used to be a Chicago public schools teacher now so in a different public school district. Yeah. But yeah, I don't see it. I think public education, the role is to have the, the goal of public education is to provide for an educated populace. And I think the best way to do that is to have the money follow the kid rather than some sort of institutional boundary. So parents are able to make the best decisions for them. We see this with things like the GI Bill, right? We want uh, people who have served our country to have a great education. They can use that at a public school. They can use it as a private school. With food stamps, they don't. you don't have to go with your food stamps to like a government-run food store. You go and you can buy f- food somewhere else, right? There's many uh, programs that have taxpayer funding where people are able to make the choice to use those in the ways that that best suit them to achieve our goals as a society. And I think K-12 education is one of those places where that has worked. My son co-teaches at CPS, co-teaches. So he and another teacher teach in a classroom, Griffin Special Ed. Then he works with teachers who have core subjects. And then they have the SICAs, the special education assistants that come in. So sometimes there are three adults in a classroom for 30 or so kids helping that classroom of kids learn biology or algebra. I'm All of that to say, I'm impressed with the resources that CPS makes available. To You know, I get the feeling I'm a little, I don't know if it's defensive, maybe more educated now about Chicago Public Schools. I am impressed with how hard I think they're trying to get over a lot of the obstacles that they have. Well, I lot of, imagine a lot of your son's pupils' parents would then say, this works. I'll keep my kid at CPS, right? I would hope so. Right? So I think that then that argument is okay. Yeah, I think your argument's gaining weight, right? That if we thin the populace out a little bit from Chicago Public Schools, uh, my son and I think those the SICA and the court teacher would still be there. Mm-hmm. All the better for the kids who remain behind. And Austin right. says there's research to support that. But well, Austin's got research argument, to support everything he says. Yeah, I, it's I, so I annoying. Re- bringing research yeah, to this I podcast. I hate it when he does oh. Every point that seemingly has research to support here. <laughs> like, thought out the information that confirms my point. No, to the point of, like, the brain drain outside of the schools, if the schools are adequately serving students and parents feel like they are getting a great education for their child, then giving them the option to go somewhere else should be of no concern. They will stay. The point is, it's it's failing many parents, and many parents want an exit option. Thousands of them are on the wait list for this program. But right now, that option is limited to the wealthy, including the president of the Chicago Teachers Union. Okay, let's end it there. I wanted to get to, Eric, I don't know how you feel about this. I wanted to get to the um, immigrants in Chicago and oh, yeah. what we're doing with them. But I think that'll be here next week as well. So, let's talk about how good yeah, the Cubs I, I, are. And uh, well, we can talk about that. And the, other, the other thing, and we should save this for next week to, to talk about uh, Greg Pratt's story in the Tribune about Melissa Conyers Irvin, and uh, that was really that was really wild. Yeah, I thought uh, the Trib's editorial today was really good about that too. Uh, Trib's editorial was good. Pratt's story was really good. Uh, that's a. Uh, uh, have you had Have you had Pratt on your show? Not John? on this. No. Uh, oh, uh, he's I, I, he's good. I do find he it kept- how fascinating how quickly the Brandon Johnson administration had no problem releasing that letter after the Lightfoot administration oh, it, spent it, so it, it long. Looked- it looked so bad for Lori. I mean, I, well, I'm writing some for I'm writing some for tomorrow, saying like, uh, who looks worse here, uh, Melissa Conyers Irvin, who seems like just a common grifter, or Lori Lightfoot, who was the mayor who was covering for her. 
I mean, my God, I, I, I was just at the point where I was starting to miss Lori a little bit. And then this. But how does on. this impact Brandon Johnson, except in a positive way? Well, right. I think he he could argue that it's for transparency's sake, right? Release this letter out there. I don't know, though, if I don't know the political relationship between the two of them. Well, but then he it's certainly not great. Did, yeah. He didn't fight it. Yeah, That's right. all I got to say. Can yeah. I have that? And the letter just came out before they even <laughs> finished the Sorry, thoughts. Lori. Yes. But yeah, no. The cover up is worse than the alleged crime here, right? I mean, almost, although the crime is pretty uh, um, spectacular. Hiring a, a, someone that should be versed in finances to be your personal A police assistant. officer who's now going to drive you around when, in fact, we need somebody with financial skills in that position. Uh, right. And not good. getting staff to organize your kid's birthday party. And not good. Shopping. And the cleaning and the laundry. and all. Not good. All not good. All but not it's good. way worse to have the taxpayers pay $100,000 to keep it quiet. Well, but the and the more serious allegation had to do with, with uh, Kanye Reserve allegedly pressuring BMO Bank to uh, uh, give a loan or a mortgage to to somebody who was connected to one of her husband's businesses and and essentially putting pressure on them because the city does so much business with BMO. This is in Pratt's story. That was That is very close to the line of criminality. And I, I would like to see this, the city pick this up or somebody pick it up because the city settled with these whistleblowers for like a hundred grand, which is nothing two, really. Two of them, yeah. Like, when are right. people going to get, just, just let it out and say you're sorry. We're like the most forgiving country on earth. We will forgive you. We'll pick this one up. We'll yeah. talk more about how we're handling or not handling the immigrants that continue to come into the city of Chicago. Although we have this much to talk about when we do our show at Second City. The date and time on that, our live taping for the Mincing Rascals, will be Tuesday, September 26th, 6 to 8 p.m. Austin just had to tap out, but uh, he'll be there. Our friend Brandon Pope will be here. Yep. John, Eric, and I as well. Sponsored by Allied First Bank. Get your tickets at wgnradio.com slash rascals. Whew. Okay, boys. Cubs just swept the Giants. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, yeah really? 12 games over. Yeah, and I picked. I, did I pick a bad time to abandon the <laughs> you, Cubs? Like, you, maybe s- I did. you were so Mr. White Sox earlier this I, year. I know. I know. Uh, it feels bad. I, you know, I, actually, I, I do hope the Cubs do well. Just because I do, too. It's, 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 so it's, good for, it's good for the town. It's good for... The media, it's good for the it's good for the newspapers, which I still are rooting for. So yeah, good for the bars. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll good for the soul. I'm for the soul of Chicago. I'm for the soul of Chicago. <laughs> oh, boy, don't don't say that. Longer, better, safer Chicago. <laughs> Eric and John were produced by uh, Ben Anderson and uh, Pete Zimmerman, and uh, we'll see you hopefully in a couple of Tuesdays at uh, Second City. I'm John Williams, and we'll drop another podcast on you next week. All right, guys. Oh, All right. Sorry about that, guys. But uh, no. got a late start, and then uh, Ray clicked out. Ray was nice, though. Good guy. Yeah. He it's knows good. his stuff. Yeah. All okay. right. See you guys. All right, see you guys. Bye. Subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com. 